To say 2020 was challenging is an understatement. And 2021 seems to be off to a little bit of a challenging start also. But I want to remind you that back when the pandemic kind of hit us, back in early 2020, do you remember some of the articles that I sent out at that time? They were articles about the names of God. And one of the things that I was encouraging myself and others to do at that time was, I said, before you look out, and, the, and what I was making reference to was, oftentimes in the morning when we get up, we may turn on the television and see what the local news or national news might be. Or you might do as I do. I go and open my laptop and I pull up headlines and see what's going on in the world. And so what I was encouraging you to do at that time, before you look out, look up. And so I sent out those articles in regards to the names of God. And there was various ones. But I'll just remind you of a couple right quick. One of them was Elohim Ehava. That is the God who loves. And then I wrote an article about El Rohi. It's the God who sees. And then I wrote an article about El Shaddai. That's God Almighty. Well, God still loves. God still sees. And He's still God Almighty. And so Psalms 46 is still true. So as I thought about this week, maybe what we should be thinking about as we are approaching this new year, I kind of thought to myself, you don't need somebody to tell you the glass is half empty. <laughs> There's plenty of those folks in the world. Maybe you need somebody to tell you the glass is half full. Or as a Christian, the glass, the glass is more than half full. In God and in Jesus Christ, your cup overflows. And I think that's what we need to be reminded of whenever we think about challenging times. And one of the things that I want to kind of focus in on this morning as we take a look at Psalms 46, I want to focus in on the concept of hope. Because hope is essential. And it's been said that Psalms 46 is a psalm of hope. And Psalm 46 is celebrating Zion, Jerusalem. And the fact that God's presence is there. And as long as His presence is with His people, that's a reason to celebrate. <laughs> and that's a reason to have hope. Now, I forgot to put that introduction slide up there, but you can kind of glance at that quickly because I'm going to move on to this first slide. The Psalms 46 is a psalm of hope. Now, as Carlos read that this morning, and the reason why I was suggesting, and I hope that you have a Bible with you and you open to that, because I want you to notice something that's unique about Psalms 46. If you notice after verse 3, if you notice after verse 7, and if you notice after verse 11, there is a word that is there just off to the side. And that word is Selah. It's Hebrew. 
And most commentators will tell you it's kind of hard to define. But they all agree on this. That it's there as a refrain. Sort of as a pause. In other words, this was a psalm that was to be sung. But after you sing down through verse 3, stop for a moment. Pause. Think about what you just sang. And then as you sing verses 4 through 7, once again, stop for a moment and think about what you just sang. And then as you go on down through verse 11, once again you get to the end and you pause and you think about the words that you just sang. It's there for emphasis. So I want to read to you right quick. Psalms 46. I'm not going to read verse 1 through 3 right now. I'm just going to read 3, 7, 11. Psalms 46 and verse 3. Though its waters roar and be troubled, though the mountains shake with its swelling, Selah. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge. Selah. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge. Selah. Stop and think about it. What has just been said. What you just say. Now I want to point this out as we take a look at Psalms 46. Because one of the words that he uses there is refuge. And the word carries with it the idea of shelter, fortress, protection. And then the other word that is used there is present. But it carries with it the idea more than just being present. It means proven. And I'll talk about that a little bit more in just a moment. But in Psalms 46, verses 1 through 3, now I'll read it together. God is our refuge and our strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore we will not fear, even though the earth be removed, and though the mountains be carried into the midst of the sea, though its waters roar and be troubled, though the mountains shake with its swelling. Shelah. See, the kind of imagery that the psalmist is using there. And when he talks about the earth being removed and with the mountains being carried into the sea and the waters roar, the mountains shake, what the psalmist is doing is trying to depict the worst kind of physical earthly calamities that you can think of. It helps us to understand that whatever kind of problem you might be facing, God is your refuge. God is your strength. Stop and think about that. Selah. Do you ever think you face any giants in the world? And let me ask you, do you ever feel like the world is crumbling? Do you ever feel like your world is crumbling? And so oftentimes whenever we think about facing giants, where does our mind go to? It oftentimes goes to the Old Testament, right? We're getting ready to study the book of Judges, but just prior to that is the book of Joshua. <laughs> and just prior to the book of Joshua, and Joshua leading the Israelites into the promised land, 
there was that wilderness wandering. Remember that? And Moses sends the spies. And the spies come back. There's 12 of them. And 10 of them say what? There's giants in the land. (laughs) We can't take it. But what's two of them say? With God's help, we can take it. So let me ask you this question just as we start to get into this. Do you face any giants in life? And let me ask you this. With God's help, can you take them? See, that's the same question that's being asked again. Verse 4 through 7. There is a river whose stream shall make glad the city of God, the holy place of the tabernacle of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God shall help her just at the break of dawn. The nations raged. The kingdoms were moved. He uttered His voice. The earth melted. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge. Selah. Notice in verse 4 he says, There is a river whose streams shall make glad the city of God. That's poetic imagery. You know, as I was reading that and I was thinking about we live, some of us do, (laughs) in Kansas City. And there's this river that flows right through it, right? (laughs) Jerusalem doesn't have that river. So once again, this is kind of like imagery. And he says there is a river whose stream shall make glad the city of God. And one of the things that's being suggested is, because just prior to this, he's talking about the mountains shaking. He's talking about them crumbling into the sea. He's talking about the waters roaring and so forth. There's all this turmoil. And then he says, there's this river. Well, that river (laughs) that runs through Kansas City, you ever get a chance go down to Parkville early in the morning and sit there on one of those benches it's kind of peaceful and that's the kind of thing he's talking about there's all this turmoil and then there's this peace there's something flowing that brings gladness to the city of God help coming from God himself. Verse 5. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God shall help her just at the break of dawn. Verse 6. The nations raged. The kingdoms were moved. He uttered his voice. The earth melted. The nations raged. The kingdoms were moved. Have we seen that throughout history? Where nations rage? Have you seen it lately? 
And have you seen that kingdoms can come and go? That's what he's saying. Verse 7. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge. Selah. Verse 8 through 11. Come, behold the work. Come, behold the works of the Lord, who has made the desolations in the earth. He makes wars cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow and cuts the spear in two. He burns the chariot in fire. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge. Selah. He ends right where he begins. And all this that goes on in between, God's still God. And nations come and go. And they may rage. But He's going to be exalted. He's still in control. It is a psalm of comfort. It is a psalm of hope. And it points to the source of that hope. Now I want you to keep that in mind. Because that's what the psalmist is saying in regards to all the things that can go on. All the turmoil that can happen in life and in nations. Just keep in mind. Stop and think about this. Three verses. And then down through verse 7. And then through verse 11. Selah. He's saying, think about it. Seeking hope. It has been said, human beings need hope. Human beings live by hope. We look for hope. We seek hope. Have you ever heard someone say, when times are getting kind of desperate or challenging for them, sometimes kind of in desperation almost, they would say, if there was just a ray of hope. Have you ever heard somebody say that? Let me remind you what Job. Remember Job and how much he went through? I'll remind you what Job said over in Job chapter 14 about verses 7 through 9. I won't quote the entire thing, but what he does in the midst of all of his trouble, in the midst of all his turmoils, he looks at a tree and he says, if a tree is cut down, yet at the scent of water, it will bring forth a branch. You know what I'm saying? You can cut down a tree and there's still hope for life. Because he says that the scent of water, you ever seen that? Cut down a tree and right next to it. If you get a little rain, there'll be a little sprig that'll sprout up from that. And so Job is saying, if, if I could just find hope, It's been said, human beings can live 40 days without food. They can live four days without water. They can live four minutes without air. But we can't live four seconds without hope. Now that might be 
a little bit of an exaggeration. But I think it makes the point. And we need to understand how essential like hope is for our own lives. A leading neurologist said, a neuroscientist said, hope is essential to our survival. It's the difference between between leading a healthy life and one of despair. A leading psychologist and researcher on the subject of hope said hope isn't just an emotion. It's an essential life tool. You know one of the reasons why hope is so essential is because we live in a broken world with broken people. Broken world, broken people. Here's an old saying. Didn't come from a neuroscientist or a psychologist. I'm not sure where it originated, but I think I know. I think it was Edith Bunker. Remember her? (laughs) All in the family. And she used to say, Archie, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. It is broke. And it does need to be fixed. And so we look for hope. We look at people. We look at lives. We look at society. We look at politics. We look at government. We look at ourselves. And we say, I hope somebody can fix it. But it's also said... That no matter the person, no matter the people, no matter the society, we can all get to a place where real joy is in short supply and pain and anguish and anxiety comes by the truckload. Isn't that true? People can start to feel desperate. They may even get to the point where they feel hopeless. And it's said that when that happens, people will react in different ways. What's one of the ways? Sometimes people will react out of desperation, frustration, and a lack of hope can become violent or explosive. When hope looks like it's slipping away, people will react. Let me ask you this question. Have you ever read in the news or seen it on the news when a relationship was just about to die and somebody had lost hope and it became violent? It became explosive sometimes when people lose hope that's what will happen sometimes though when people lose hope it says that they will draw into themselves they'll tighten the circle on their emotions they'll circle the wagons And they'll close off the world. 
and they'll close off other people. And they will close off relationships. And the future will fade. That happens when people lose hope. And then at the same time, some will try to deal with it like this. Some will try to live like they just don't care. I dealt with that with a young lady at high school on one occasion. Parents had divorced. Her and her mother had moved into an apartment. She showed me a book she was reading. I'm not going to tell you the entire title. I'm going to tell you part of the title. And I was shocked. <laughs> and we had a discussion about this book. Because this writer's philosophy was, and the title of the book was, Try to Live Like You Don't Give a... And I won't finish it. I said, that's not a philosophy for life. <laughs> but when people take that approach, they'll turn to alcohol. They'll turn to drugs. They'll turn to sexual prom promiscuity. I don't care. It's apathy. Hope's gone. What difference does it make? But none of that solves the problem. And none of that will help you to overcome the problem or set you free from the problem. It just makes us slaves of something else. And it makes us less than what we are. And deep down inside, if people have hope, they'll do better. And God knows that. <clears throat> And it is, as that doctor said, it is an essential life tool. People want hope. People want hope financially. They want hope physically. They want hope spiritually. And so they seek hope. And we need hope. Now I want to make this point, though. Knowing that we need hope and that it's essential in life? That's both an answer and a danger. Because if you realize it, you'll seek it. But if you don't know where to find it, it can be misdirected. And you'll put it in the wrong place. And that's what happens to people. So the question isn't, do we need hope? The question is, where do you place your hope? Where do you find hope? And that's where Psalms 46 comes in. And he helps us to point out that God is our hope. Verse 1. God is our refuge and strength. A very present help in trouble. Psalms 39 and verse 7. And now, Lord, for what do I want? Wait. My hope is in you. But here's the question. So we... Decide God is the place where we find our hope. He's the source of our hope. So how do we so how do we place our hope in Him? How do we come to realize that? What is the psalmist pointing out? So that matter no matter whatever they face, 
that they might remember that they should place their hope and their trust in God. Well, I want to suggest to you what the psalmist is saying is, is that whatever we're deciding where we should place our hope and what he was suggesting to Israel was, I want you to take a 360 degree approach. In other words, I want you to look around. And what he's going to suggest in this psalm and what we'll see is, I want you to look back. I want you to look around. And that's what will help you look forward. So in Psalms 46 and verse 1, he says, He is God is a very present help in trouble. And what he's suggesting from that and from that language, and it reads a little bit different than the New American Standard, I want you to look back. That's what he's saying. He's a very present help in trouble. Now as you think about that word present, there's two ways in which we oftentimes use it. Normally, well, the way we use it is something is present, something is close. Or we may use it in reference to time. Here's an example. High school once again. You take roll in the morning. And somebody says, here. (laughs) Somebody may be a little more clever and go, present. (laughs) And so sometimes that's the way we we think about it. We think about it geographically. (laughs) They are present. They are here. Physically, they are here. And then sometimes, once again, from high school, somebody might come up and say, hey, could you help me with this? And you say, presently, I'm helping this person. Time frame wise, right now, at this moment, I'm helping this person. So a lot of times that's the way we think about it. Locale and time frame. But what the writer, the word he uses here, carries with it the idea also of proven. In other words, he says he's a very present help. He's a very proven help. How do you know that? Because if you look back, then you know the history of the nation of Israel and you know their relationship with God. So he's saying he's a very present help. Yes, he's here. Yes, he's now. But that help is based upon what he's done in the past. Here's another illustration. Let's say somebody a long time ago, when you were very young, brought you to this country from another country. And that now, because of that, you have citizenship here. That's a present help. The benefits, the blessings of being a citizen of this country is based on something that took place in the past. And so that's what the psalmist is wanting them to give consideration to. Think about what God has done in the past. In other words, your forefathers, when God brought them out of Egypt... He didn't bring them to Sinai and then just leave them there. He entered into a covenant with them there. 
and through all the ups and downs, the good times and the bad, the thick and the thin, and there were times when Israel was not faithful. Who was faithful? God was faithful. God stayed with them. And during that period of time, from the time when He first entered into a covenant with them in the wilderness at Sinai, what God give them? He gave them the tabernacle. A visual <laughs> that God is with you. And it stayed with them until they went into the land. And even after that, and then eventually when Jerusalem became the capital and Solomon built the temple, there's a visual. God's with you. And so God wanted them to know through it all, they had a real ongoing relationship with Him. And that would bring them assurance in their immediate problems. God's been with us. So whatever we face now, He's still with us. He's present. And there's a visual right there. There's that temple. It's kind of like this. There was a little boy that was put to bed one evening, one night. His parents were right across the hallway. Lights are out, it's dark, and they hear him shouting, I'm scared. And they reply, don't worry, God's with you. A couple minutes later, I'm still scared. <laughs> and the reply comes once again, God is with you. And then the little boy shouts, I need somebody with skin. <laughs> I need a visual. I need to lay eyes on my help. The tabernacle was there. The temple was there. Look back. God's with us. See, what the psalmist is saying is, as you're reminded, the flame will also be rekindled. And that ignites hope once again. Verse 4 through 7. There is a river whose stream shall make glad the city of God, the holy place of the tabernacle of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God shall help her just at the break of dawn. The nations raged. The kingdoms were moved. He uttered his voice. The earth melted. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge. This is a psalm to be sung. And so what the psalmist, the language that he's using is, keep singing about God's hope-giving presence. Now stop and think about Israel's history for just a moment. Their world <laughs> was one of international turmoil. 
It says someone suggested at one time, Israel was not bigger and they were not mightier than other nations. For most of their history, they had been like a political football, kicked around, kicked back and forth, passed around, devastated, carried off by the other nations roundabout. When they were faithful to God, God would keep them, preserve them. They didn't stay preserved because they were bigger and mightier. That was because of God. And when they didn't listen, He sent the prophets. And when they still wouldn't listen, God allowed them to be carried off. That's the point. And that's the point the psalmist is trying to make here. That tabernacle, that temple is here. Stop and think about your history. Tell me one other nation that was established, destroyed, 70 years, and then put back together. God did that. And that tabernacle, or that temple, God's with us. How did that temple get there? Except by the power of God. And so in verse 4, he says there's a river. And it shall make glad the city of God. You know what he's saying? Those blessings flow from God. That's what will make that city happy. When they recognize that. So look around. That's what he's saying. God is in her midst. She shall not be moved. The nations raged. Kingdoms were moved. They come and go. But the Lord of hosts, and if you noticed in the reading this morning, the Lord of armies, that's what that means, is with us. Jacob is our refuge. The God of Jacob is our refuge. Say, I want to pause right there for just a moment. Take a little detour for a second. This is based on what was said to me Wednesday evening after class. We all know what happened on Wednesday, and hope slipped away for a lot of a lot of folks on Wednesday, didn't it? A lot of people were frustrated. One of the good brethren here, I won't mention his name, but he has a lovely wife named Lorna. <laughs> He walked up to me, he stuck out his hand, and then he leaned in and he said, we got him right where we want him. <laughs> I thought about that for a little while, <laughs> and into the next day. I want you to notice verse 5. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God shall help her just at the break of dawn. You know what that means? You ever up early in the morning and it's right there at the break of dawn 
darkness fades and the light comes. It's that moment when the light comes on. So I thought about his statement. We got him right where we want. Actually, I don't think it's a matter of we've got anybody right where we want them. (laughs) But I think God does. Because I thought about that and I thought about 2 Kings, the 19th chapter. You remember Hezekiah? And you remember Shennacherib, the king of Assyria? And he came down. They had already carried away the ten northern tribes. And he comes down and he says, you send a message to Hezekiah. I'm coming. (laughs) Most powerful army nation on the face of the earth at that time. And here's little old Judah. Two tribes are left, Benjamin and Judah. And you know what Shennacherib said to him? He said, I'll give you 2,000 horses if you can put soldiers on them. (laughs) I'll give them to you. Hezekiah couldn't do it. He was concerned, and rightly so. So he prayed about it. And Isaiah was the prophet. And so Isaiah sent back a message. And he said, you go tell Hezekiah this. This is what the Lord had said. (laughs) That king of Assyria who thinks he's all that, (laughs) I'm going to put a hook in his nose and a bit in his mouth and I'll send him back on the same road that he came on. (laughs) Go ahead and read the rest of the story. One angel, 185,000 Assyrian soldiers were killed in one night. You think God is worried about his threats? You're not worried about it. Hezekiah, you know why you're there? Because I put you there. Hezekiah, if you stay there, it's because I say so. And when I decide you shouldn't be there anymore, you won't be. Psalms 46 is still true. It was true then, it's true now. But God's people have to come to realize that. And you know what else? The nations come to realize that. He says, among the nations I will be exalted. Who's in control? It's still true. And you know what? When people come to realize that, it's the break of dawn, isn't it? The light comes on. So you don't have to wring your hands. He's still in control. He's still got him right where he wants him. Temple's still there. And so, what's the point for us? Since the gospel was first preached, and the church first began, Satan has thrown everything he can at God's people. And kingdoms have come and gone. But guess what? We're still here. Look around. 
in verses 4 through 7, they sing of their confidence. And then in verses 8 through 11. They sing of their hope. Come behold the works of the Lord who has made desolations in the earth. He makes wars cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow and cuts the spear in two. He burns the chariot in the fire. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge. Selah. It's as one writer said in regards to those final verses he said they just can't stop praising God they can't shut up (laughs) isn't that the way it is those who have confidence in God they're not going to shut up and so in verse 8 and 9 he says come behold the works of the Lord who has made desolations in the earth. He makes wars cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow and cuts the spear in two. He burns the chariots with fire. So in other words, all their power is is nothing to him. He's still El Shaddai. He's still God Almighty. In verse 10 he says, Be still and know that I am God. And whenever he says be still, it's more than just being silent. It's like acknowledging who God is and the hope that you can place in Him. It's the very same kind of language that's used in Exodus, the 14th chapter. Remember when the Egyptian army was pursuing after Israel and they came to the shores of the Red Sea? And He said, Behold the salvation of the Lord. In other words, stop all your crying. He'll take care of this. And so that's what the psalmist is saying. Be still. Know where your confidence is. And the word means to stop your struggling and be calm. Trust in God. Trust in His ways. And know that He will be exalted among the nations. In verse 11, he says, The Lord of hosts, the Lord of armies is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge. Selah. So as we think about His presence in our present, the psalmist wants to realize, wants them to realize that God has been with them, He's still with them, and He will be with them going forward. And so for us, He wants us to realize that God has given us the gospel. And He's given us His presence in our present. So you think about the kingdom now. And the scriptures tell us how the kingdom got here. And it tells us about the character of the kingdom. And it tells us about the citizens of the kingdom. And it tells us about the place that we hold and the role that we have as citizens under His rule. So the Scriptures are the way in which we hear God's voice. It's as someone said, every time we open our Bibles, God opens His mouth. 
And in Psalms 119 and verse 147, it says, I rise before dawn and cry for your help. I hope in your word. So his presence in our present, what's God's word say about this? And how did we get here? And what's our responsibility here? But also, God gives us His Spirit. Galatians 3 and verse 2. Remember when we studied that? Let me ask you, how did you receive the Spirit? By the works of the law or by hearing with faith? And the implication that Paul is making is the way that you received the Spirit was by the hearing with faith. So it's by His Spirit. That he expects us to live out the truths that we've discovered in the gospel and in Jesus Christ. And it's as someone else once suggested, it's not about how strong we are, it's about how strong he is. That's where our hope is. I'll turn quickly and read to you from Romans the 15th chapter. And verse 13. Romans 15 and verse 13. Now may the God of hope Fill you with all joy and peace in believing that you may abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. He's saying through that Spirit He's given us His hope. Through His Word. Through the Spirit He's given us. And then thirdly, He gives us each other. And this is why fellowship and being part of a fellowship in a local congregation is important. Because God has given us one another for support, one another for care. And as verse 5 speaks about that river, and as one writer suggested, like a river of grace, then what he's saying is as he's given us each other, that's another form of God's grace. In times of trouble, in times of turmoil, look around. That's why Paul calls it a body, the body of Christ in 1 Corinthians, the 12th chapter. Each individual filled with His Spirit, equipped with various talents, with hearts to love one another. Galatians 6 and verse 2, bear one, another, one another's burdens. 1 Thessalonians 5 and verse 11, therefore encourage one another and build up one another. Romans 12 and verse 10, love one another with brotherly affection. He gives us His Word. He gives us His Spirit. He gives us His people. And you know what Paul says about that in 1 Corinthians 3? He says, you are the temple of God. So you know what he's saying? Look around. <laughs> you want to see a temple? They had the tabernacle. They had the temple in Jerusalem. You want to see a temple today? Paul's saying, look around. It's here. We live in challenging times, there's no doubt. I'll wrap this up. The Psalms 46 is a psalm of celebration. And it's a psalm of hope. And the psalmist is suggesting, look back and think about God's relationship and your history with Him. Take a look around. The temple is still here. And then you can look forward with confidence. And so for us today... God's given us His Word. He's given us His Spirit. He's given us His people. And we are that temple. His presence 
in our present. And that's how he's saying we can have we can have hope. The Lord of hosts is with us. And as the psalmist says, Selah. If you're here this morning, I want to extend the invitation to anyone that's here never rendered obedience unto the gospel. We'd encourage you to do that this very day. If you're a child of God not been living as you should, you need to make your relationship right with Him this morning. We want to help you in any way that we can. Let us know while together we stand and while we sing.